morning, New Life. My name is Will, one of the pastors here at New Life Presbyterian, and I just want to say it's a joy to be with you all here worshiping our same God. If you are visiting with us, thanks for uh, joining us. I pray that you could stick around so we could get to know you a little bit more. We are turning the corner, and we have about two weeks left in our series looking at the book of Philippians. And so let me read our passage for today. So if you're able, I want to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 10, and a short, a short reading. I'm going to read to verse 13, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. This is God's word. Let's be blessed and receive this with open hearts. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is God's word. You can take your seats. just have a, a simple message, actually, to answer a simple question, and that question that you and I struggle with is what Jonathan actually alluded to, and it's a question to say or ask, are you content in your life here today? Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you at peace? Are you calm and joyful with who you are when you look in the mirror, where your career is, where your marital status is, your financial situation? Are you content with where you are? And I think it's just not a question that Christians and followers of Jesus try to ask, but I think it's just a human question because whether you're a believer or not, all of us are seeking the secret to contentment. They say in our culture, we have never had as much money materialism as we do today, but people have never been less content. In fact, in an article written in the Huffington Post entitled Meditation and Finding Contentment in Everyday Life, a professor, a psychologist, said, over the last 10 years of teaching at meditation centers, I have seen an incredible spectrum of people coming in at the door seeking something. They, may say, they might say something like they want to feel more grounded or less stressed at work or that they're dealing with some tough emotional issues. But this doctor would say, are you really seeking contentment? And that may be you and me here this morning, that there's something in life right now that you're not really happy or content about. In fact, we may be characterized more by discontentment and dissatisfaction. We may be struggling with something missing in our hearts and our emotions, maybe finding that one good friend that you could call your soulmate. Maybe you can't stand work anymore, but you have to pay the bills, and it just doesn't fulfill you or satisfy your life. Maybe your marriage isn't the way it should be. Maybe your children isn't that way that you are. And if you're in youth, if you're a student, and your school is not the way it is, my friends, the teams that you have, the committees that you joined in middle school and high school, maybe that's not that joyful and happy for you, and your parents don't seem to understand. All of us struggle with, in some ways, discontentment. And Paul sees this, and he wants to talk, he wants to dialogue with you here this morning about, really, how can we find contentment in this life, a full satisfaction and everlasting joy? 
a peace and calm to say no matter where we are in life, we can find contentment. And the Apostle Paul uses this sort of provocative language, and he says, I found the secret to this because he knows that everyone in past generations and in this world is looking for contentment. He says, I found the secret. He says, I'm going to give it to you. That's what we're going to talk about. He says, I found the secret to contentment, and he's going to lay it all out before you. And that's what we're going to look at here. What is the secret of contentment? Well, this one guy, Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote this book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And this is what he says in terms of the importance of it. The mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, excellence, and the glory of the Christian. And what he's getting at is that contentment is so elusive but so foundational that one way you could tell that someone generally understands and has a vibrant relationship with Jesus is that they seem to be content. It is a gospel virtue that many of us seldom to think about or talk about. Contentment. He says the rare jewel. He defines it, and he says Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. This sweet and inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit in any condition, whether you're up or down, poor or rich, have great relationships or falling out with your best friends, you have this sweet, gracious, inward frame of spirit. And if I'm going to ask you the question, do you want that? I know that every one of you wants that, wants you to be able to weather the storms, and no pun intended for today, but you could go through the ups and downs. You could go through the difficulties of relationships, but you always just seem satisfied. And if you're like that, if you want this, then here, we're going to talk about Paul's secret, a true Christian secret to finding that, to discovering this. And there are three characteristics that Paul outlines for us to really understanding the secret of contentment. This is what he says. Three characteristics of contentment. He says, first, it's internal and relational and not external and circumstantial. It's internal and relational. The secret is within. But secondly, he says, the secret of contentment is learned and not instantaneous. You don't discover contentment. You don't just enter into it. You don't snap a finger and it all of a sudden comes on. It's a long process that you have to train yourself. You have to learn it. You have to activate it. You have to practice it. You have to, dis you have to figure out in the everyday matters of your life, slowly, how can you learn the secret of contentment? So it's learned, but it's not instantaneous. It's not discovered. The third thing he says about, con about contentment is that it's active and not passive, meaning that you need power and you need strength. So if you want to learn the secret of contentment, in other words, the ingredients for true everlasting contentment, he says, it's internal. It's going to be something you learn over time, and it requires a really powerful strength. So let's look at that through those three really quickly. So the first ingredient to the secret is internal and relational. It's not external and materialistic or circumstantial. Paul, in this context, just so you know where he's coming from, is encouraging the readers to work out the gospel and what he's been doing since the beginning, really the entire letter, but he's working out the Christian mind. And he's saying, I want you to think like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to interpret the world like Jesus, to put the mind of Jesus on because you're united, Jesus. In the beginning of chapter 4, he says, when you think like Jesus, you can apply it to your anxiety. But now in these verses, he's saying, if you think like Jesus, he turns his attention to contentment. And they're a little bit different because anxiety answers the question, will I have enough to survive? But what contentment answers is a question, will I have enough to be happy? 
And actually, it's a little bit different than what we kind of commonly think about other people who seem very satisfied, but it's different from greed and it's different from apathy. Contentment is the opposite of greed, perhaps, because greed always wants more. Greed is good. Now, that's the mantra of Wall Street. Now, it's Rockefeller says, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. So it's the opposite of greed in some sense, but it's also very different from apathy because people who are apathetic, they may look like they're content because they're not go-getters, they're not trying to make money, they're not trying to have popularity, they're not trying to move up the corporate ladder, they're just lazy and apathetic. But in some ways, that's also the opposite of contentment. Because contentment is not just apathetic tendencies and not caring about something. Christian contentment is fully active and fully positive saying you want to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, a relationship, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's the opposite of apathy because it's fully positive, fully forceful, fully moving forward. And so if people who are apathetic are just as discontent in their demeanor and practice than greedy people. And that's what contentment is. And Paul is talking about contentment, and he's saying that I've learned the secret of contentment is internal and relational. And he shows in his specific example, he's basically saying, I'm thanking you for the money because the church at Philippi sent Paul money in prison. He says, I'm thankful for the money, but I didn't need it. Not in the sense that he couldn't use it, but he says, I'm really content where I am. He's in prison. He doesn't have a lot of money. He says, thank you for the money. I'm more thankful for your heart for me, your love for me, your generosity for me. But he says, I don't really need the money because he's content in life. I mean, he's giving a real-life example of his life. And if anybody could say he's content in anything that he does, it's certainly the apostle Paul. He was almost martyred. He got beat up many times. He was shipwrecked. He was betrayed by his inner circle friends. He had every exposure to life-and-death situations or life-threatening situations. But even then, Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Thank you for the money. Thank you for your generosity. I could use it, but I don't really need it. How is he able to do that in everyday life? Robert Jones, his counselor, he kind of talks about contentment and gives a, another definition, similar but different from uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, but he says, contentment is having this satisfying mind, a mind that's satisfied. It's about an inner satisfaction in God alone. It's an experience of peace and confidence in difficult times. It's living in God's grace, an ocean of serenity, a sea of tranquility. See, all those definitions of Robert Jones are all about internal realities, because greed and being discontent really just seeks to have more and more and leads you to be less content. You know, greed really is about your wants that have become needs. Greed is about having your preferences becoming absolutes. It's about your desires making a good thing an ultimate thing. But he says, that'll never work. Paul is saying, your circumstances, you could always have more. You could always gain more, but it's never going to satisfy. You can only have a satisfying mind. You can only have what Robert Jones says, an inner satisfaction, in the sense that you experience the grace of God internally, and you're swimming in the ocean of his glory, love, and grace. And it's internal. It's relational. It's not external and material. That's what Paul is trying to get us. He's trying to tell you this. Because look at verse 12. Let me try to bring this out. It's internal. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need in every sort of circumstance. Now, in verse 11, when he says, I have learned uh, the secret of contentment, 
That word actually is this Greek word called autoarcheo, and archeo is just the word that means to be satisfied. Auto is like the English, it's just not automatic, but it's to oneself. And that word autoarcheo is saying self-sufficiency, satisfaction with oneself. That word actually conveys this idea to being satisfied apart from your circumstances. And it's a word in that context in the Church of Philippi for non-believers that we call Stoics. And Stoics are saying the secret to contentment is actually autonomy and self-sufficiency by ridding yourself and extracting yourself from your circumstances. And you could Stoically just reach a level of satisfaction apart from material pleasures and physical pleasures. But Paul takes this and he says, yeah, there is an auto-archaeo. There is a sense in which you can be self-sufficient, self-satisfying, but then he Christianizes it. He transforms it in the gospel. But he still conveys this idea that real sufficiency, real satisfaction, real contentment is independent of your circumstances, of your relationships, of your riches and of your food and of your status in life. Because he says you can have plenty or you can have be hungry. You can have abundance or you can have need. But he says if you learn the secret of Archeo, he's saying it's really the fact that contentment and this self-sufficiency satisfaction is internal and relational. That relationship is not going to be horizontal. The relationship is vertical with Jesus. He transforms this idea. Now think about this with me in verse 12. I think it's profound that Paul says, I had to learn how to face abundance and plenty. Because I'm thinking to myself, if I'm writing verse 12, I actually don't need to learn how to be content when I have a lot of food and a lot of abundance and riches. I think that would be natural for me. I think if I had looking at abundance of money in my bank account, if I was hungry and there's abundance of food at the best buffet, you know, if I'm looking at the world and have abundance of status and networking opportunities, I don't need to learn that. That's automatic. I automatically would be satisfied. But Paul doesn't do that. I would write verse 12 and say, I had to learn how to be content when I'm poor, when I'm low status, when I have nothing. But Paul doesn't do that. Do you know why? Because, independ- because satisfaction is independent circumstances. He's, he's savvy enough to know, he's wise enough to know that true contentment is independent circumstances. So he says, you have to learn, you have to grow, you have to know how to be content whether you have a lot or they have nothing. Because he knows that even when you have a lot, you're not going to be content. Just a little bit more. You want to be richer. You want to have a bigger house, a better car, better vacation. That's why Paul is wise enough to say, yeah, it's not going to be your external materialism because you have to learn how to be content whether you have a lot or whether you have a little because both ends of the spectrum can absolutely make you discontent. And that's a brilliant pastoral exercise and insight. He says, you want to be auto-archaeo? You have to realize that even having a lot in material possession is not going to satisfy. Neither will have having a little bit. Whether you have an abundance of food or you're hungry, high status or low status, abundance of possessions or no possessions, Paul is saying both extremes will never lead to life-giving, everlasting satisfaction because it doesn't work that way. He says the key, the secret to true satisfaction and contentment is internal in cultivating a relationship with Jesus, this auto-archaeo. It actually is really a Christos-archaeo, satisfaction in Jesus. I mean, Paul talks about this internally and relationally, even in Philippians. In verse 4, we didn't read this, but he says, he found joy in the Lord, relationship, internal. Verse 5, he says, I have confidence and hope because the Lord is near. Verse 7 and 9, he says, I have hope in the peace of God. 
and the God of peace is with me. It's all internal attributes, joy, hope, peace, and all coming from God and His Son, Jesus. Verse 13, he finds strength through Jesus. So the key to here is saying that, yes, you can enjoy circumstances, and sure, you could be successful, and you can enjoy the good things of this world, but you want the secret to contentment, as rich or poor, as much food and as little food, as abundance as you have in status or not, the true key to everlasting internal satisfaction is going to be your relationship with Jesus. So if you don't cultivate that relationship with Christ, you don't talk to him, you don't pray to him, you'll never, ever have contentment. Contentment and satisfaction in your life will be elusive. That's the first characteristic. It's internal and it's relational. But the second thing, as you could probably get at, is that true contentment, the secret of contentment, is that it's learned. It takes time. Verse 11, let's read that again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever circumstance, whatever situation I am, to be autorkeo, content. I have learned, he says. And that word learned is not an instantaneous learn. It's actually a word that means it was a process of learning. So Paul is saying, as he looks back in his life, I have learned through this process of life to be content in Jesus. Real contentment is not natural, friends. It's not automatic. It's learned. It's not something you step into. Contentment is not something that you could discover as much as you grow in. Contentment is more about how a plant grows where it takes time rather than a firecracker that explodes automatically. It's not automatic. You have to practice it. You have to learn it. You'll make mistakes. You have to practice it and apply it in the everyday matters of your life. In fact, that's what the word says with Paul, that he's looking back and he says, my life has been a long process of learning what it means to be content through the ups and downs of life, through the trials and sufferings of life. That Paul himself learned to be content. It was on-the-job training. It was life-on-life application. So friends, one of the things that you could think about in this way is that a reason possibly that you have difficulty in life today is because God is trying to teach you how to be content. You may not always get what you want in work and relationships and careers, in your academics and your studying. And sometimes there's disappointment, and that is suffering. But one of the ways that you could kind of begin to think and pray this into your heart, to learn it, is to say, maybe God isn't giving me what I want because he's trying to teach me how to be content in his son Jesus. That's why Paul was the same way. I have learned how to do this. It wasn't easy for Paul. He learned it through his life. You want to know what that learning process is? Well, one theologian said it this way. I'm sort of paraphrasing. He says, be sure of your call to every business that you go about. Though it is the least business and the least important business, be sure of your call to it. Give everything you have in that moment, he means. Then whatever you meet with, you may quiet your heart with this. I know I am where God would have me be. Nothing in the world will quiet the heart so much as this. When I meet with any cross, I know I know that I am where God would have me be. In my place and calling, I'm about the work that, has, that God has sent me. And what he's trying to get at is basically saying, in the everyday, whatever business you have, big business, small business, everyday matters, once in a lifetime matters, have the confidence in the relationship and the providence and the love of God to say that this is exactly where God wants you to be, exactly what God wants you to do, to be fully content in the moment, in the everyday. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what he learned in this life. 
He's trying to show us, friends, that true gospel contentment is not tied to his circumstances, as we said, not material possessions, but he's also saying it's not tied to your status and respect. Because in verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low. And by low, he's not talking about living below average or living in poverty levels. That word low has more to do with your position and your status and your respect. So Paul is saying it's not just going to be about learning contentment, about material possessions, but he's also saying I had to learn how to be content even when I had no public recognition and status in this world. And so for some of you, what's actually harder for you to be content with is not about the numbers in your bank account, but it's about the respect and position that you have from people. Some of you may be very satisfied and content with your financial position, but you're so dissatisfied by your place in church or work or your neighborhoods. You absolutely want respect. You absolutely want recognition. You want a place of prominence, a place of affirmation. And Paul says actually both things. I've learned this. I've learned that when I had a lot of money and little money, I'm content. I had to learn in my life whether I was brought high or brought low, high status or low status, I learned how to be content because my status in Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell you. That word status there, that word low, is the same word back there in chapter 2 where Jesus says, I've learned the humility of Jesus, and he lowered his status. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, lowered his status. And Paul says, because I'm united to Jesus, I've learned that same word, how to be brought low, have a low status. I'm not as respected as I want to be. I'm not as, I'm not as worshipped as I want to be. I want to be viewed as a good pastor or a good elder or deacon or lay leader. And you want this acclamation. You want this affirmation. You want people to fawn over you and compliment you, but you never get it. You're never really placed in a position of power or promise as you wish you think you could. And Paul says, even those situations, you got to learn how to be content. Paul's contentment is deep and it's profound. He learned how to give up money, but he also learned how to give up honor and respect. Sometimes learning how to be content in a place where nobody knows your name and recognizes you or even appreciates you or sees you, but still to be content in those spaces, sometimes that's a lot harder than having no money. And Paul says, I've learned how to do this. So whether you have low status or bounded status, you are always content. Let me give you a couple of practical applications. How did he learn this? Like, how do you practically do this? Well, one counselor said it this way specifically about that verse 11. Very practical. There's an acronym, PTO, not pay time off. Pray, think godly thoughts, obey. Pray, which comes to us in verse 6 to 7. Think godly thoughts in verse 8. And obey God in verse 9. In the everyday moments, learn more about God in truth. Repent of your sins as you pray and apply biblical truth to the everyday moments of your lives, then and only then can you train yourself and learn the secret contentment. That's how you grow in it. That's how Paul learned, PTO. See, the challenge to being content, friends, is when we have more than we need, but less than we want. And if your contentment is tied to your status or to your circumstances, Contentment will always be elusive. But when you have the riches of heaven given to you in Jesus, when you have a great status 
and your union with Jesus, and you cultivate that through praying and thinking and obeying and applying, then you'll grow in your understanding and your experience of contentment. Someone once said, if we are not satisfied with what we have, we will never be satisfied with what we want. And I think that's absolutely correct. So what are the ingredients and the secret to contentment? Well, it's internal and relational with Jesus. It's not external. And secondly, you have to learn it and you don't discover it. But here quickly, the last point, it takes a lot of strength. It's a lot of power. It's interesting in verse 13, one of the most misquoted and misapplied out-of-context verses, verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, people use this verse all the time in different ways. You know, I could make a, get a college scholarship. I can all do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. You know, I could get a promotion. You know, I could ask that girl out, and she'll say yes, because I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are quotes that I get from you students when I speak at retreats. But it's totally taken out of context. What he's talking about, the all things, is his Greek word panta. It's this all things is referring specifically to the previous verses. It's talking about how you could go through your life of up and down, abundance, and not having that much, and being content. He says he could go through that, that commitment and learning of contentment. He could do that with strength. Now, it's interesting because when you talk about satisfaction, I guess the attribute of Jesus that I wouldn't think about is going to be power. If I'm thinking about learning contentment, I thought, well, maybe I, need, I, could do, I could learn contentment through love, through joy, through grace, through mercy. But it's interesting that Paul says, if you want to learn the secret of contentment, you need power. You need strength. I think that's really interesting. That means it's really hard to be content because you need supernatural heavenly strength from Jesus. You can't do it yourself. You know, this silly illustration where a dad goes up to his son and there's a in the garage and there's a weight and there's um, barbells and it's just way too heavy for this little kid and the dad goes to his son, move that barbell over there. And he can't even budge the barbell and the little boy is like striving with all his might and the dad says, try harder, be stronger, and he can't even budge it. Use all the strength that you have. And the son says, I can't do it. And the dad says, I said, use all the strength that you have. Son, don't ever forget that you always have your dad's strength to help you. And he moved the, bump, the, the barbell with him. See, in the same way, when you use all your strength, it's trying to get you off your own strength and your will and morality. You know, you can't exert your own desire so that you can find contentment and learn it. He said, use all the strength that you have, and by God's grace, what you have is the full kingdom power strength of Jesus Christ given to you. And it takes that power, it takes that strength for you to learn contentment, because think about it, you're never content or at least I'm not. It's so hard to do this because it's internal. You have to learn it, but it takes the very power of Jesus and the contentment to find in Christ with the very strength. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. We have Jesus, our identity and status. We're not ultimately defined by circumstances. Our riches are not as great in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. As one pastor put it, if grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it or doesn't, as long as we have Jesus. The joys of acclaim, wealth, and power are nothing compared to the eternal acclaim, wealth, and power we have in Jesus. See, this is the illustration <clears throat> captured in Psalm 131, one of the shortest psalms in the Bible. 
And in verse 2, this is what the psalmist says. But I have learned and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a good verse of actually anxiety, but if you read the context, it's not a picture of peace. It's more a, a, a picture of contentment because in the first verse of Psalm 131, the psalmist is talking about, let my heart and eyes not be set too high. Let me not desire marvelous things are too great for me. So it's not talking about danger. It's not talking about anxiety. I think Psalm 131 is talking about satisfaction and contentment. He says, let me not aspire to rise to the world. Let my heart and eyes not be above heaven. Let, let not marvelous things be the things that I ultimately desire. But he says, in contrast to that picture, I want to be like a weaned child in the presence of a mother. Now, obviously, I'm not a mother, but you could get the sense. The reason that's such an insightful metaphor or picture, because it doesn't just say, I'm just like a child. He says, I'm a weaned child. That means the child, you could, on one sense, say, well, of course the child likes mom because he gets milk from mother, gets food, gets his dinner from mom. But it's saying, I'm a weaned child, so the child doesn't need material things anymore from the mom. It just loves to be in the presence of mom, calm and quieted in the soul, in the relationship. And that's what is the picture for our contentment is saying that we don't just want things from God. We just don't want God to give us riches and status, but it's just the presence of God being with Jesus, like a weaned child in the presence basking in the glory of Jesus. That's when we find and discover true contentment. But to get to that place, we need power. We need the strength that Jesus gives us to find contentment like a weaned child with our Heavenly Father. That's the only reason and the only way that we can truly find the strength to find contentment and satisfaction in the heavenly truths in Him. Well, you know that often quoted C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He once said something like this. But talking about satisfaction in heaven, but if a person's physical hunger doesn't prove he or she will get any bread, if hunger for food not prove you'll be fed, Surely hunger proves that there is such a thing as food, that you come from a race that repairs his body by eating, and that you inhabit a world where eatable substances exist. So in the same way, when a duckling wants to swim, it must mean that there's such a thing as water. A baby who wants to suck means that there must be such a thing as milk. But if I find within myself a longing which the world cannot meet, it probably means that I was made for another world. Like a weaned child, the full strength of Jesus pulsating through your spiritual life, finding contentment in your one and only Savior. I'm afraid that this world, as good as it is, and if, as I began this message, we've had as much materialism and money and we're still discontent. We are like that family going to the beach and you're walking through the streets and the sidewalks of the city, and there's a sign that says, beach this way. But we look at the sign and say, we're at the beach, guys. So on the hard sidewalk, we put our beach towels up, and we lie down, and we think, this is great. The beach is fantastic. When we're so filled and satisfied with something that just points towards the reality of the beach, and sometimes in this world, our success and our money and our relationships, as good as that is, is like that sign, but it's pointing towards the other world in which we'll be satisfied, but we get too content, too easily satisfied by the things of this world, 
And that's why we're never content. Let's not be satisfied by the signs and the hints, but move towards the reality and the fullness of our relationship with Jesus to find contentment in him, in his presence, in his glory. Friends, let's turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because you have given us your son, Jesus, who has redeemed us and saved us. And Father, we confess that oftentimes in our idols, we find contentment and joy so much in the things of this world and not in the promises of your word or relationship with your son. We repent of this. We ask that you cleanse us of this. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit, the very strength so we could do all things of going high and low, have an abundance of food and no food, having riches and poor, poverty, that we could always find contentment even as we struggle and suffer through this world. Thank you so much, God, and we worship you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.